0: Well, I mean, it, it's a time in my life that that day will always stand still, and I'll always remember, hopefully, we'll always remember uh, like it happened yesterday. So, first of all, it was a mistake that we stayed out.
1: Welcome to another episode of Littart on Location. I'm your host, Steve Littart, and folks. When you've spent more than 20 years of your life traveling the road, first as a crew chief in NASCAR and now as an analyst for NBC, you are bound to meet some interesting characters along the way and today will not disappoint. With Latar on location, the goal was to bring you closer to some of those personalities. And the idea was to do it in some great locations, but it's 2020, so the locations are off the table. I'm once again at my home in Cornelius, North Carolina and via Zoom, today's guest, Elliot Sadler. Elliot, I'm guessing you're at home, Emporia? I am in the
0: big growing metropolis of Emporia, Virginia. Yes, on the All dry right. bread road, to be exact. <laughs> I love, it. I love <laughs> it. All
1: right, our guest today, Elliot Sadler, longtime NASCAR driver. Um, shockingly long, actually. When I did some research on your starts, I knew you had run some races 438 cup starts, 397 Xfinity starts. I got a lot of questions about that. But the first question is when you pop up on Zoom, you're Coach Elliot. Come on, yes. man. What, what gives? Coach Elliott, give, give, me the, give me the rundown.
0: Well, I, uh, I help run a uh, travel ball organization here in my hometown in Emporia. Uh, I've been coaching um, sports for about 20 years, counting baseball, softball, basketball, soccer, um, those things. And, and when I retired from racing, I retired actually to being a, a full-time coach. So uh, not only with the travel ball stuff that we have, we have 19 competitive teams. Uh, we have 10 baseball teams and nine softball teams. We have over 300 kids um, in our area that come and hang out with us on a, on a daily basis. We also start a foundation. We do a lot of after-school programs, um, a lot of different things with families in our area for underprivileged kids to, to give them a platform to, to come and, and, and enjoy some positive environment and, and have, a,
1: have a chance to follow their dreams, not only in schoolwork, Uh, but also in some type of sports. It sounds amazing, uh, amazing work. Not a surprise to me. For those who don't know, you were, what, a four or five sport athlete in high school? I mean, you played everything, right? Like, if there was a season to play, you played it. A lot of times I played two sports in a season. So I played six sports uh,
0: in high school. Um, So uh, football, basketball, baseball, cross country, golf, and soccer. Uh, so I was always busy, loved playing uh, athletics. I did since I was, you know, old enough to play t-ball as a kid. So I've just always been around that part of the game. I had a chance to go play pro baseball. I had a chance to go play college basketball. I actually uh, had a lot of um, uh, offers to go do that. So, I'm, enjo- you know, I enjoyed that part of it. Now I'm kind of back helping kids in my area uh, kind of get them pushing in the right direction and hopefully follow their dream as well, just like
1: I did. So you mentioned helping kids. Well, let's talk about your own kids. In the pandemic, everybody has adapted in their own different way. Uh, Amanda, your wife, Wyatt, and Austin. Now, Wyatt, 10? Do I have that right? Yes, sir. Good job. Wyatt's 10 and your little girl's 8? Yep. They're 10 and 8. And he is as shy and polite
0: and nice as he can be. He's just like my wife. (laughs) My daughter is wild and crazy and keeps us on our toes so somehow they got flip-flopped i wish they would go back the other way where my daughter's more like my wife and my son would be more like me but Right now, that's what we're stuck with.
1: <laughs> it's funny. We definitely marry opposites. I've been fortunate to meet your wife a few times. And anybody who's met my wife, Tricia, knows that she's nothing like me.
0: Right. And, I'm and the, the same first way. time I
1: met a man, I'm like, this is going to be a match made in heaven because they're nothing alike. This is going to be perfect. It, it, uh, it's definitely a great offset and, and keeps me grounded. Yes. Yeah. No, it's great. <laughs> so talk about this crazy time. I, I think it's great when the listeners understand that all of us, they're not alone. We're not alone. You, you know, there, there's so many awful things that we, we hear about in this pandemic's crazy and it's affected so many people negatively. But I think the one thing we can all perhaps take from this is it's affected us all. Like no one's immune. And I think that's something that, you know, as humans, we can all relate. Like I'm sitting at home. I've been in this office now for months. Um, Luckily, my children are high school age. So so I'm fortunate enough that I have one back full-time, one back part-time. And when he is here the other time, I don't have to teach him because I can't teach him calculus. So your wife, though, is from an education background isn't that correct yeah she got her master's at virginia tech um with the educational background
0: and uh, she handles anything um school work in our house and i handle anything uh athletic in my house but as far as the pandemic is concerned steve you, you bring up such a good point there's so many people's lives that has gotten changed and taken away from them or altered or what have you and and we we, we talk to families all the time and we just try to get them to put it in perspective. Look, this was taken away from you, but this is what you're gaining. Look at, you know, more, more family time that you're creating more things that you can do with your family. You know, it may be time has slowed down a little bit in 2020 and makes you cherish more of these moments or cherish things that you got to do in the past, whether it's going on vacation to the beach or Disney World, whatever you have to do. The problem we have in our area is we we have a lot of kids that, Need interactions with other kids. Um, I, I'll give you a, a stat: 94% of the kids uh, that used to get reported in through school uh, um, essential workers like uh, teachers, um, you know, um, secretaries, administration, things like that. The reports of child abuse and child neglect is down 94% since the COVID hit since in, from March. So, what that means is this kids that really have needed our help in the past, that maybe had a tough home environment, things like that, are not getting reported or not getting the help as much as they need it. That's the kids that we're trying to reach in, in, in our hometown and our area to try to get those kids some help, get them out, get them out of the house, get them in a different platform, get them with kids more of their age. So that's what I'm more struggling, you know, worried about is the kids that have to do this virtual learning that some of our kids are fortunate and lucky like my kids uh they actually get to go to school but a lot of kids in our area have parents that are able to stay at home and help them get through the virtual stuff we actually have kids that parents can't afford to do that or not able to do that and actually gonna fall further behind so this pandemic has brought us a lot of different challenges okay a lot of different challenges what i try to tell famous is look i know you didn't get to go to the racetrack this year or i know you didn't get to go to uh disney world or the vacation or this that or your kids played a high school sport i said but listen let's put this in perspective we have a lot of kids that are being affected way more in a negative way so let's try to take our energy and put it into that and help those kids but it's definitely been a trying time for all of us uh but this is more of a time where we need to pull together than we are to to spread upon hopefully that day will come
1: yeah i mean i i, I couldn't add any more you said it so well that um you know, It is absolutely that. It's an opportunity for all of us to spread our arms out and reach out and help the next person, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your coworker, whether it's your schoolmate, whether it's somebody at the grocery store, you just never know. Um, I think I've learned that a little bit through Gordon and Dale Jr. with the charity work they've done. Just You just never know who you can touch. And now we have that opportunity in our own communities because of this crazy pandemic. I know you are completely involved with what you're doing in sports. I wrote down a word. It's really been a a point of reflection for me, right? There was this time that I can sit back and say, okay, you know, these are the things that I'm not able to do or how it's affected me. But to your point, I get to see how it affects others. And when I'm able to do those things again, I'm going to appreciate them way more. The simplest (laughs) things, right? Like, hey, let's meet out for a cup of coffee. Let's meet at the bar for a beer, right? Like you and I have split a a bucket of beer or two in our day. It's like, I can't wait to get back to high top table with some sports on the TV and a bucket of cold beer. You, you, know,
0: you know what you just said that, that is a magic word to me that I had to learn the hard way, uh, appreciation. And, and, and I'll tell you why. When I was fortunate enough in my very early part of my career to drive for some great teams like at Diamond Ridge Motorsports and then I got to go drive for the Wood Brothers and then Robert Yates racing, yeah, I knew I was in good equipment but I don't know if I 100% appreciated it. Then when when I got myself in a tough circumstance with the 19 car and the Gillette and the whole nine yards and it was just a battle every week about whether we were going to make it to the racetrack or not, I was like, man, this is a lot harder than I thought. I, I didn't know people went through this at this level. And man, I was down and out. So when I was able to kind of get a resurgence in the sport, Thank, thankful to Kevin and Delana Harvick for giving me an opportunity to drive their truck. From that day forward, I really appreciated the work that was done for me to be able to come back to race and, and be a part of the sport and driving for Junior Motorsports or driving for Richard Childress Racing. You know, all those teams. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Like, I had a totally different attitude. And I just learned that, wow. We sometimes complain or maybe life is not great or we don't think it's great, but we really don't understand what a lot of people are fighting through and going through. So when when you say the word appreciation and reflection, that made me think a lot about this year. I've been traveling for 27 years. I mean traveling, going, going, going. You know how it is. You've been doing the same and you spend all this time away from your family. And then the year I retire, the world comes to a standstill. Really, we got to stay at home. So, man, I'm getting double time at home, and I'm trying to figure out, man, what to do. And right. I'm, you know, I'm almost bored. Not, not even bored. Don't, you know, I, I don't know really what to do with myself seven days a week. So, I had to learn to appreciate and reflect the time that I had with my kids, and learn how to do things with them, and communicate with them, and kind of put them on their pedestal. And it was time now that I really looked back and and actually drew me and my wife and my kids closer to each other. So, I definitely appreciate that time.
1: My I learned through my new job in television. Sam Flood, my boss, he he would say, "Listen, you know, there's gonna be a two or three hour race, and you're gonna cover the race, and you guys do a fine job of that." He goes, "But what you got to do a better job of?" This was his criticism in my first year, and it was great criticism. He goes, "There's there's only two or three moments." He goes, "They're moments, like when everybody goes to the water cooler tomorrow. They're not gonna talk about the pit stop of lap 50 or the this mm-hmm. or the this. There's something we don't know what they're gonna be, but there's gonna be these moments." in this TV broadcast and we have got to make sure we cover those the best we can. And what I have done is I've taken that kind of to my own life. And what now is defined as a moment is crazy to your point. Now when my kids leave and I'm at home and my wife's at home and we sit on the back patio with a cup of tea and a cup of coffee, it's like, this is a moment. I'm, I'm absorbing this way more than I ever did. I'm like, man, mm-hmm. this is, I am now, I take my phone more than ever and put it away, put it on the charger, put it this. And like, I try to be around when I'm around. So mm-hmm. it is, it's a great stuff. We're talking to Elliot Sadler, former NASCAR driver, Elliot. I got so much I want to cover with you. I want to talk a little bit about the current NASCAR, but let's go back. You mentioned it. The list of teams is impressive. Wood brothers, Joe Gids, RCR Yates, Roush, Everham. There's so many good ones. Then towards the end, JRM, the Harvicks. Let's go all the way back. I was there that day. Um, Night race at Bristol. We're just going to stay out on old tires. Son of a gun. <laughs> oh, Elliot Sandler on these old tires in that 21 Wood Brothers car. Took that thing to victory lane. Wood Brothers looking for their 100th victory. What did it mean to you that night in Bristol? Not only get your win, but to do it with the Wood Brothers.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's a time in my life that that day will always stand still. And I'll always remember, hopefully will always remember uh, like it happened yesterday. So first of all, it was a mistake that we stayed out. Oh. pat Trison, pat trison was my crew chief we keyed up the mic you know how it is in bristol oh, you yes. a crew chief, you've got to decide very quickly you know the commitment line comes up so quick in the middle of turn one and two that we had to z- decide very quickly whether to pit or not and we you know i was keying the mic as an anxious driver right i know you've had him going like what are we going to do what are we going to do and at the same time he's telling me to pit well i didn't hear anything i was young and was scared to make the decision on my own so i just stayed out and yeah exactly <laughs> and uh and then after i went by of course they were not too happy that i didn't pit, and they're like well you have to stay out now and i just think clean air being out front uh i was definitely a lot better at the old bristol than i ever was at the new one uh, but to win that race to pull in the victory lane to see Eddie and Lynn Wood with tears coming out of their eyes and their whole families, you know, all hugging each other because this was a track, you know, as many wins as the Wood Brothers had had, they had never won at Bristol. Wow. So the coolest part of this whole story is, hey, we're going back to Stewart, Virginia to celebrate. All right. So because it's not a long drive from from Bristol to Stewart. So we're going back to the shop, the whole town is going to be there. So we get back to the shop that night, and, like, the whole town of Stewart showed up. And, man, we were hanging out and drinking and celebrating, and somebody had toilet papered the whole shop, had toilet papered uh, Lynn and Eddie Wood's house and Kim's house. And it was just a neat family, small-town experience. I felt like I'd won a race for the whole town of Stewart. You know, it wasn't just me or the race team. So that was a really cool, neat experience and something I'll never forget. That, that was a very special time.
1: It's amazing. Um, it almost opened up Pandora's box. I'm going to blame you. There you go. I'm going to blame your mistake at Bristol that day because <laughs> that was one that um, everyone was sure it wasn't going to work. Right. Perhaps you in the car were like, oh boy, this is not going to, you know. And then when it worked, you know, I think everyone at that point was forced to look at May- Why do we come down pit road every time? Like, maybe right. we just need to stay out there where the air is the best. I think
0: that's when, you know, because back then, and you know, that was 2001, the whole clean air, aerodynamic stuff had not really hit yet. You know, we won't coal-binding the front springs yet, like what Stewart and them were doing later on, a couple years later, and things like that. So I think we weren't really sure how valuable clean air was. Mm-hmm. But I think the way it used to be restart, single file with the lap cars on the inside, yep. right? So then you could kind of get some lap cars in between you and the guys behind you. It wasn't like they were starting right up your butt with new tires. So there's was a few factors I think made it a little bit different that day. And plus, I knew I had to really drive hard because I had screwed up and, and talked <laughs> over my crew chief and stayed out. But, but it all worked out
1: fine. Uh, so so there's, there's a lot of movements. I, I don't think we have to cover them all. But it's funny to me, you go from – uh, driving a family organization with the Wood Brothers, and you end up at another family organization. I was a fan of it because my father worked there forever, uh, and that's Robert Yates Racing. Um, that's where you um, not only won for them, but another place where you got to be teammates with a mutual friend of ours now. And I want to have a conversation about DJ at a point, but talk about what it was like. Um, you know, we all lost Robert a, a year or so ago. I guess it was two years now. Time flies winning the hall of fame but what it was like to go from one family organization to another because robert yates still was that it was family run
0: absolutely loved uh driving for robert yates um he was such a good down-to-earth hard worker blue-collar guy he was not like an owner that wanted to sit in his office you know he wanted to be in the shop all the time with his guys and remember many a time he'd take me to golden corral so because he could get the lunch special there for about three (laughs) dollars and and we'd have lunch and, and, and and talk about the races but uh, definitely some of my best times in my life. Uh, a great group of guys there, uh, guys that worked on the, on the car that had been a part of Yates Racing for a long time, Robert and Doug and everything they did for the sport. Of course, Dale Jarrett being a teammate who means, who means and meant the world to me in my career um, was, uh, was very good for me. And, and it's still one of the saddest times of my life um, when Robert and I had that meeting when he was talking about maybe selling his team to Jack Roush, and they, we were in a tough situation. UPS and Dale Jarrett were leaving to go to Michael Walter Brayson, and we might become a single-car team at the same time. Most of the other teams were becoming three- and four-car teams. Right. And it was just a – I still remember that meeting like it was yesterday in his office talking about we don't know what the next steps are going to be and how we're going to survive and, and what was going to happen. It just – devastated me um you know absolutely always loved driving the 38 car with the M&M sponsorship and I remember the very first First test session I ever had with them in Kentucky, and I got to feel that Yates horsepower, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to have this every race. You know, it's just uh, – it was definitely a neat uh, a neat time in my life.
1: Definitely was. So, you mentioned DJ as a teammate. So, selfishly, he's a teammate of mine now here at NBC. So, the people that don't know, real quick, I'm going to connect all these stories. So, the best man of my wedding, I was the best man at his wedding, is Jason Burdett, who are currently mm-hmm. crew chiefs for Justin Allgaier. Jason was DJ's tire guy when I was Jeff Gordon's. That's how we all, this is how this whole circle yeah. kind of gets, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a muddy mess here, but let me clean it all up. DJ yep. uh, actually went on, Jason went on to be DJ's teammate at a time at Michael Walter Racing. They have their time together, but you and Jason, good friends, that's how I met you. And somehow the four of us would all end up at the same place multiple times over the course of our careers socially. Never did we all work together. Um, but the kingpin to that, in my mind, is DJ. Yeah. I, I would say it if he was sitting here between us. He's like, he's like the, uh, I call him the Paul Newman of the NASCAR era, right? Like he is the, just the cool hand, always has something great to say, always has information. Uh, I won't say he's quiet, doesn't talk a lot. I've learned to listen more than I talk when I'm around DJ. He has taught me so much about my life, TV, and more growing up. Talk about your relationship with DJ.
0: Well, I, I could talk all day about Dale Jarrett, uh, but he, had def- he has definitely made me a better person a better father, um, a better son, a better driver. Uh, he is an absolutely amazing to me. Just a great human being, the way he treats people around him, the way he treated his fans. But I have the ultimate Dale Jarrett story.
1: 19- now it can be told on here, right? Because we've known him a long time. So. Yes.
0: I mean, we of course, we've had a lot of beer together and we played a lot of <laughs> Blackjack 21 together. And, right. And, and hasn't played so many matches of golf together where he always takes my money because he can putt and I can't. And he makes fun of me for that. But this is the epitome of what Dale Jarrett is as a person. 1996, Diamond Ridge Motorsports gives me a tryout at Darlington Raceway, a test session. And if I go to this test session and run a particular time, they will let me run the very next weekend at Bristol Night Race. So I show up at Darlington Test, when I pull in, there's like 388 cars there and like three or four 28 cars, like but they have a, a ton of cars there testing. Back then it wasn't a rule on how many cars you could bring. He was testing to win the Winston Million, 1996. If he won the Darlington race, he won the Winston Million, which he was leading the race, hit oil, hit the wall. But anyway, so I pull into the test session and I walk up to Dale and I say, look, Dale, you don't know me. I'm Elliot Sadler, I'm Hermie Sadler's younger brother. And he said, I've heard of you. you. You race with my son, Jason, some. I said, I sure do. We race late models against each other, South Boston and Hickory. I said, listen, I've never been here before. Anything you can tell me to help me? And he said, get in the car. So he put me in the side of his race car, and we rode around the racetrack, slow and easy, showing me the lines, what he's looking for in the whole nine yards And I'm sitting there thinking, this is a guy here testing for the Winston Million. He don't really know me from Adam. Mm -hmm. Um, He's taking time out of his day to help me. So he would come check on me periodically. We were at the other end of the garage with one car, one car testing at Darlington and a rookie. I was scared to death, (laughs) as, as it was. But he came in and checked on me periodically that day and kind of kept in touch. And that started a great relationship with us. So here I am, a rookie, going, wow. Man, these guys are really nice in NASCAR, these drivers. Man, they just really help you. What <laughs> I learned later in life, it wasn't always like that. It was just Dale Jarrett as a person. So that's the way he treated me from the very first day, and I think that's the way he's always I – mean, I've seen him treat many kids and people and everybody in the sport as he came along. And he just really was a big part of the reason why we got the Motorcraft sponsorship at uh, the Wood Brothers because he had it with quality care. Then he, mm-hmm. when he got the UPS deal – He helped them move over to us. He was a big reason why I became um, a teammate of his at Robert Yates Racing. So um, I I really learned a lot from him on the track, but a lot off the track on how he treated people. But that first story I've I've told a 100 times, and uh, I want people to really understand the kind of person DJ was and and, and what he meant to me uh, when I first started trying to learn the track at Darlington.
1: I can believe every minute of it. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to work around him. You would never know he's a Hall of Famer. No idea he has a trophy case filled. We're talking to Elliot Sadler. So, Elliott, we're going to come back to your driving career. Want to get your opinions on the current NASCAR a little bit. But we do this with all of our guests. These are quick hitters now. We don't have to give a lot of thought to them. Okay. Um, it can be random. Yours are a little more specialized. But let's see. This is one I ask everybody. Quick hitters with Elliott Sadler. You go out with your go-to drink when you go to the bar. Um, I get a <laughs> – you're going to laugh at me. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good
0: one then. I get a Tito's and Sprite with a splash of cranberry.
1: Oh, so you're the guy with the pink the pink bubbly drink. Thank okay, you. Those people
0: make fun of me with the pink bubbly drink at the bar.
1: Yep, yep. All right. That should go in a styrofoam cup. It's not a yeah. bad drink. I would have it. <laughs> oh, All right. not? See? That's right. Let me write that down. That's right. Yeah. You're the, the if you have an option, could you put that in a styrofoam cup styrofoam for Styrofoam cup. Yeah, nobody knows. Yep. Uh, lowest golf handicap ever. What was your lowest index? Uh,
0: 4.5 ever. Oh,
1: we match. I got there this summer. My lowest ever is a 4.5. I am way back up now. My putting is worse than it's ever been. Putting saves me. All right. Um, Either a course or a hole, what is your favorite? Golf course, golf hole? Uh, the
0: old farm uh, mm-hmm. by far is my favorite golf course that I've been to.
1: My favorite hole, uh, Sawgrass 17. Ah, all right, I've been fortunate enough to play. I haven't played Sawgrass yet, but I've been to the old farm. Um, easy to say why that's a place. Yeah. All right, road trip. Are you the guy that says, just put me on a plane and get me there? Or you, like, load everybody in the car and you're up for a road trip? I am about getting on a plane and going either to the Bahamas or Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. Oof, too bad, I can gamble? You. I can yeah. gamble that. You're starting to see, okay, if anybody's been paying attention to this podcast, you're starting to see where the circles are all colliding now. <laughs> I can right. see me, you, DJ, and Bernadette of uh, – over in the Bahamas playing That's awesome a full table by the pool. That's a yeah. full table. Yeah. That is a full table. Uh, that is for sure. That is a good one. Well, there you have it. Quick hitters with Elliot Sadler. That's my kind of vacation. I, I I'm like it. I'm in. So Elliot, we talked a lot about the, the, the kind of beginnings of your career. I want to talk about the end. I was fortunate. Um, I've had some great moments. I've got the call from the booth. One of my favorites that a majority of people may not remember, but I know you will, was calling you your victory at Darlington in that Xfinity car. That was a special day for me. You're liked by the garage. You deserve that other win. I knew you personally. It was just a great day. So, so that victory driving for Dale jr, the Xfinity series, you talked about the appreciation of that second half of your career, put that kind of all of a nutshell, what it meant to you to have that chance to drive for JRM those few years.
0: Well, it, it meant a lot to me. Um, you know this because you, you're very close to the sport, but a lot of fans didn't know this, that Dale Jr. and I were friends in late Models back when we were bush racing together, and we were pretty much neighbors and hanging out every night. Uh, we're really close friends and uh, spent a lot of time in Daytona together after his, his, his dad passed away, who we were all looked up to. Uh, then our, our lives kind of separated. I kind of moved back to Virginia. You know, he stayed at home, and then we kind of came back full circle. Uh, with, with he and myself and Kelly. And it's just neat that people you grew up with racing lake models with and you started your bush career with and you, you spent a lot of time drinking and hanging out together pretty much the basement of his house. It was right across from the DEI shop has all come back together for a common goal. And I think they wanted to give me the best opportunity that I could have. And I wanted to do the best job for them that I could do. Yeah, I think they really were looking to try to really help me get a championship. And, man, I was really trying to get them one. And we really had each other's best interests at heart. And I think racing for your friends like that made it so much fun. It really did. And it was definitely time that I thoroughly enjoyed. We were always fast. We showed up at the racetrack, we were good. But to win that race at Darlington, there was a lot going on that week with Dale Jr. Um, Then we were running the Dale Jarrett paint scheme. Uh, also to somebody that, that meant so much to me and to be able to pull it off at a track at Darlington that I had had a couple of chances to win those races. I had thrown some away. Some I was hoping had gone my way and didn't wreck on the last lap a couple of times. So to win that race and beat somebody like a Denny Hamlin, who, who's always running good at Darlington, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of a, all these things kind of just piled on at one celebration and one win. It was actually, man, I cried like crazy that afternoon after that win. It was just so much emotion uh, all at one to be able to make that happen. It was a neat day for me, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing um... – you know i'm not going to complain because i get to still cover races but i miss the racetrack you know i I can't we're doing it remotely from charlotte and it's just seeing the cars seeing it you know i don't i don't know i don't watch it like other people i just there's nothing like a car especially darlington when they climb that hill at darlington get back in the gas and then things kind of come down to that second apex i mean that is just a visual thing as as a guy that used to set those cars up it's a magical place and you mentioned your win. I got to see him victory lane that day. William Byron went to victory lane at Daytona. I wish I could have been there to go down him and his dad and just, you know, say congratulations. Um, You know, these moments aren't the same. You mentioned that year. So I'm going to go on record to say if I ever get to run a race team, my first hire will be your crew chief from that year. I know he's moved up to the cup series. It didn't work out with Jimmy Johnson. He's still at Hendrick Motorsports. Dale Jr. and I, and our success has been well documented, but it, Kevin Mendring doesn't get the credit he deserves. Kevin was the guy that brought those cars with so much speed. He was so talented. You got to work with him. Uh, Kind of a quiet guy, but a smart guy.
0: I don't know how to really put this in words, um, but he was a big part of saving my career and making my career last a little bit longer. Um, I was almost at the time where, man, we've got to perform to stay there, and and Kelly and those guys at JRM were starting to get – drivers and sponsors lined up to kind of come take your spot if you're not performing. And I remember when they told me Kevin Mindering was coming over. I remember do- uh, Dover, Delaware in the pouring down rain, Dale Jr. said, you need to come to my bus. So, you know, we want you to come here. I want you to do this. Your crew chief's going to be Kevin Mindering. And I went, who? Right. who? I don't Who is that? Well, he's never done it before. And It's like, man." This is the later – this is the last part of my career, and I don't know. I don't want to – somebody that you don't know what they're – you know, is he going oh, really? to work? And he's going, Elliot, I don't know how to tell you this, but he was a big part of the reason why we ran as good as we ran when I was at the 88 car. And he and LaTarte were good together, and, you know, he was the engineer behind the scenes and the setups. And the, so I trusted him. And, man, was I lucky. Holy cow, was I lucky to – have him uh, on my box for those last couple years of of racing. So um, we won some races. We should have won a championship together. I'll never forget, we went to – the first year we were together, two lug nuts were not touching the wheel at Phoenix. So Kevin is suspended for the championship race at Homestead. He's not Mm -hmm. there, okay? This is me, you know. Oh, it'll be fine, and, you know, he he might be in the bus, and he'll be watching, and it's not going to affect us. Hope was I wrong. Yeah. Your crew chief has got to be there with his hands on the car, and he can see and feel everything that's going with it. And that um, that that championship, you know, got away from us. So, and then you come back the next year, we're battling William Byron. And we're we I passed William Byron with ten laps to go and pulling away within ten laps of winning a championship. And then we got in the mess with Ryan Priest, And yeah. I'm just sitting there going, I've let him down again, of, of all things. Yes, it sucked that I didn't get to win the championship, but I hated it for Kevin, who put, and you've worked with him, they put so much effort into it. And um, for for like two championships in a row to get away like they did, really hurt me and took a lot out of me and probably helped me make my decision on retiring and and moving back to, to what I'm doing now.
1: I, I, people don't believe me, I think, but in 2007, Jeff Gordon and I had a career year, 30 something top tens or whatever it was. And we were leading the points in the playoffs and Jimmy Johnson won four in a row. Um, we didn't lose the championship. Jimmy Johnson won it. He just reached right in our trophy case and took it. But to your point, that was, that was like, a. even though I didn't retire for seven or eight more years after that, that was like a wound that I don't think ever healed. Right. To be that people don't realize to race for championships, like being in love, like you can't leave anything on the table. You're all in, and this is going to have to work. And when you fall short, man, the recovery is is painful for sure.
0: Yeah, and my last year uh, after that uh, deal with priests, I never recovered. Yeah. You know, I just – because you're so close, and you can just smell it. You can feel it. Right. And it's not just you as the driver. It's your mm-hmm. whole team, sponsors, everybody that's pulling the weight, you know, pulling the yep. rope with you. Yeah and it's just and i think that's a Carl Edwards thing too. He just yeah. you know when that happened to him i think sometimes it's just hard to overcome. You just start asking yourself how many chances do you really going to get you know to to make the most of and it's just
1: it, it makes it hard man it really does. So that's a great transition. We've talked a lot about what you've done but now talking to Elliot Sadler, coach Elliot according to his zoom here, doing <laughs> a lot of baseball, a lot of softball, married with two young kids, 10 and 8. Elliot a, before I start talking about the current NASCAR, with 360 players and all these teams, you get to watch any races? Uh, not a lot. Yeah. I, I figured did, it had to be short. I did watch slides. this weekend.
0: I did watch this weekend because it was night races. Okay. Uh, we were done playing and all of that. I can watch a lot of the night races. My son and I especially will sit down. And uh, we were pulling for Kyle Bush this weekend because he had the Elliott Sadler m and throwback. Uh, then my kids start with cool, and Eminem sent me a bucket. I mean, a bucket full of all this old Elliott Sadler replica, everything.
1: That's awesome.
0: So, so my kids start with cool, but I don't get to watch it a, as much as I uh, used to just because we're so busy on the weekends.
1: So I get to analyze it and talk about it all the time, but as for someone who felt it at the Xfinity series, right, this kind of lead up to this final race, the playoffs are on. You mentioned. Kyle, Kyle Busch, for instance, right? He's going to go to Richmond to track. He's great at your hometown track. Um, you know, try to explain, you know, first, I guess I'm going to ask you straightforward. Do you like three race rounds and elimination and a championship race? Cause you are a big sports guy. You told us basketball, you know, that is more, I don't know, how do you say, it? I guess the best way to say it is more quote standard for sports. We're going right. to bracket our way down to a champion. Do you think that model fits in racing?
0: I think it's hard for our old, faithful fans to buy into. Yeah.
1: Now that I'm fair. on the
0: outside looking in, I'm a yep. fan, the conversations I have from race fans are it's too much to try to understand. There's a lot of moving parts and resetting and bonus points and stage points. Like there's a lot to happen. Now I understand all this has to fit into play. Because when you get to Phoenix and you, you used to get down to Homestead, the last two or three races of the year, you still want it to mean something. You didn't want somebody to have a 200-point lead and he's got right. to finish 30th and he wins the championship. I, I get that point. But I wish we could figure out how to simplify it a little bit for our normal fans, Steve. And I don't – look, I'm not sitting here and tell you I know the answer. We, we got too many people that know the answers, right? Everybody's got opinions. But I do think now sitting on the outside, trying to figure out all the math and everything that comes with it, I think it has made it tough for our really faithful fans that have stuck with us for a long time.
1: It's funny honest. you say that, because my dad and I had this conversation. He would definitely lean on your side. He's like, you know, it's too complicated. I said, you know, I encourage my father. I said, watch it like I watch the Kentucky Derby. I don't know all the details. But when they <laughs> open the gate, they run like hell. And man, it's a great myth. And my point to him was, um, I have shied away from everything you just said. I'm not going to, this week when I come on air, I'm not going to talk about playoff points and buckets and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it's Richmond under the lights. Here's what you got to do. We're going to race and beat and bang because I think the product is spectacular. Now the recipe for that product is very complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't have a better answer. I'm kind of with you, right? I don't like the complication, but I do love the product. And I think a lot of those, you know, It's like redoing a recipe, right? All of those ingredients matter. You know, like the stage points and the value of them. I think that does increase the intensity, but I don't have the answer to match what you're saying because it is complicated. So away from the system, how about the pressure these guys are feeling on track? I mean, it it does ramp up in the playoffs for sure. The guy that has done it.
0: it. It's awful, the pressure that are on these guys. I've been there and done that. And that's one thing I can't say, guys. This stinks for a race car driver and team the next 10 weeks Right, uh, what they're going through. is so much pressure. It, it's a pressure crook. And they're going to get mad with each other. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to make moves. We saw the other night with Martin Truex and Chase Elliott. That's showing you how important it is to get locked into the next round. And I didn't realize – and, again, when I watched it before Xfinity Series went to the, the stage point with yep. the you know, playoffs, like a couple series was doing, I didn't realize how important it was it was to be locked in so early. But when I locked in at Kentucky that one year, was the first race of the, the playoffs, I locked in. We could take the next two weeks off. We were just polishing on the cars for the next round. Right. And it's just, holy cow, this is a huge advantage. So like Harvick now, now he's going to go to Richmond, they're going to run good, but they're getting ready for the next round. They're already one step mm-hmm. ahead. So it is a huge advantage to, to lock in. Now, if you're on the bubble, you're fighting and clawing and everything. It's just like you never get a break. And those guys are going to be so wore out and tired and mentally drained by the time they get through this round. The next round, they got to start all over again. It's tough. It's really hard to make it through like that. And after a while, it, it's so much pressure on you. Some's got to break and some's got to give. And those guys fight on the bubble all the time. That's why we usually never see them really work their way to the right. top. They've got to battle each other so much.
1: I tell everybody their garage is like their bullpen, right? And if you have a great regular season and you know you make it the postseason, your damn 25-game winner. He's over there icing and playing golf. You're just saving him, right? He right. When that guy that is grinding and using every pitcher they have, they're out of gas when they get in there. And it's the same way. You know, if you're using your best cars to make it, once you're in it, you're man, you're just hard. I mean it, it's what Kevin Harvick and Denny and those guys are doing are absolutely amazing. All right, Elliot. What's on tap? You're talking about all the coaches, man. Like, you got a big playoffs coming up. Is Wyatt in a league? Like, what, what's the, what is the crazy pandemic? I guess we're now in the fall, fall ball, baseball. Yep. What, what's the story?
0: So, we just finished. Uh, we just had our World Series this past weekend, our uh, summer World Series, which was pushed back pushed back because of the uh, pandemic. All right. And then we're on three-week break, and then we will start fall ball. So we just finished, I mean, a ton of baseball week in and week out. Now we're on break. But so what I'm doing is we're kind of getting rosters straight, ordering uniforms, getting practice schedule straight. We're just kind of redoing when we start in the fall. We're ready to rock and roll through the middle of November. But I also now own a Elliott Sadler eSports team. Oh, I see the hat. I like that. I racing team, and we have road to pro tonight. I have two guys trying to make it in road to pro. Mm-hmm. to work their way up to the Coca-Cola series. so running a race team is uh, dude, I didn't have anything else to do so I'm trying to do that as well and, and that is crazy. That's a lot of testing and a lot of engineering and running telemetry and working together and man that's a lot of stuff going on too so that that's a lot of fun but but my baseball and softball with my kids and enjoying that time is, is nothing like it but we want a little bit of a break now. We're going to watch these races and, and enjoy them because in my and I'll ask you this. In my opinion, without the practicing, I think the racing has been better, and the adjustments have to be more on tap. Totally, so, what, everybody who thinks
1: practice, everyone who thinks practice helps the little teams are crazy. If you give Joe gives racing an hour of practice, they're going to use it better than the smaller team. I love the no practice thing, love it, big fan.
0: I do too. I mean, it's saving teams money, and it's making the racing better. Uh, th- all the way through the pack for me. And I, I have thoroughly enjoyed that because not always the Kyle Bushes or whoever are going to hit it right off the bat. You got to right. see these guys struggle and fight and then see kind of adjustments they
1: can make. And I think it's created for better racing. I think that it's saving teams money without costing fans entertainment. It's actually increasing the entertainment. Now I will say there's going to be a challenge for the promoters. Uh, I don't know the answer yet, but the IndyCar NASCAR double was great. We have a bunch of different series. So let's fill up a weekend. So when you load up your wife and kids and you say, we're not going to go to Richmond, we're going to road trip up to Pocono or something, give you a weekend full of racing, give you a reason to go there. Right. You got to make it worthwhile. Yeah, And I understand
0: yep. that cars on the track are a big part of it for fans. And I know that's what the track promoters want for practice and qualifying and all, but man, the product that we're seeing on TV to me, has been really good, you know, at the times we got to watch it. Just watching the guys going back and forth and trying to make adjustments and not always the same three or four guys. I mean, other than Harvick and Hamlin, everybody else has kind of been intermingling who's been running up front. you got comers and goers and – I just think it's been a great product on the racetrack this year. And I, I was thinking, I was wanted to get your input on that because you ran a lot more to me on uh, what, what your thought with the testing was the effect on that.
1: I'm with you. I love I love the no practice. I think it's great. You mentioned Elliott Sadler Esports, Road to Pro. Uh, for the fans that don't quite understand, I have Letard Esports. We have two cars in the Coke Series. Mm-hmm. We're going to be running tonight. Uh, but to qualify for the Coke Series, I think what makes that series so much fun, it's 40 guys for the people who don't understand, talking to Elliott Sadler here. The bottom 20... They're out. They're oh. not guaranteed to come back, right? So the top 20 stay. So yeah. that's our battle right now. Both our cars missed the playoffs. Sheerburn had a great run going. He missed it. He's like 13th in points. My other car, Santiago Perez. he's a little bit farther back. He had a slow go and he was a rookie. So we're these last six or seven races, we're trying to make sure we get him in the top 20 so he can stay. Uh, and if they fall out, they do what you're saying, the road to pro. You know, you get to run that next 20 races.
0: That's right, man. We can't wait. I got two guys, Vicente Salas out of California is trying to make it, and Garrett mains, who's one of the highest-ranked iRacers uh, in the world, actually has high function and autism. No kidding. Yes, and he races, and he actually this year is racing on Tuesday nights at Charlotte in the Legend Cars.
1: That's awesome. So he's
0: trying to go in that direction. A young kid, a great kid out of Richmond, Virginia – who actually just signed with Richmond Raceway to become part of their eSports team. So I, I got a lot of little good guys that are going to go there and do their best. But it's, a, it's stressful. It's so stressful, just like anything else, man. It's so much fun.
1: <laughs> I'm watching. I, the other day, my wife came in, and I was looking at data. And she looked at me, and she said, I "Just, I want to make sure I get this straight. You're looking at data for your guys that race on the computer. I said, uh, "Yes, ma'am." Yes. She, yeah. just, she didn't even say anything. She just walked back out of my office. Like <laughs> she was like, "I, I, have a good night." And she, she just that was it. So yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. We got to do it.
0: It, it. It's been so much fun. Uh, I have my son and I. My son really has fallen in love with the i racing part of it. I think watching, you know, when NASCAR put the drivers on there at Homestead the first time, and we watched it, and then we got ourselves a sim seats rig. And then we have two sim seats rigs because he wanted his own. And we're just enjoying that moment together. Not only racing with each other, but trying to help the race team. And we're spotting and looking. And, you know, I run some of the uh, races as well. Got my rating up pretty high. So I'm enjoying it. But it's frustrating, too. The worst part is, in iRacing, you can just key the mic and talk to the guy you're racing against.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm so glad we can do that in in NASCAR. We'd have been (laughs) cussing each other out, laughing (laughs) and laughing out. All right, well, let me know when you want to get on there. I'm not very good, but uh, your old buddy Chris Rice is on there with us a bunch. Me, Duggar, we have a uh, – Duggar yesterday. race last night. So, yeah, there was a little race. I didn't take part in it. The, the Labor Day pool activities got me where I didn't quite <laughs> hang out for the race. But uh, we're not the road to pro. We're the road to just slightly average all the time. Yeah. So, it's pretty good. Elliot, man, it's been great catching up. Uh, we're going to have to tee it up soon, one of these golf courses. I got to get a little better first.
0: I'm working on my game. I just got some new clubs. I went and got fitted again. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, let, let me work on them a little bit, then I can maybe catch up with you guys pretty soon.
1: A true golfer. You can always improve with new clubs. I love <laughs> it. Elliot, man, I appreciate it. Um, it's, it's, I hate not seeing you around the racetrack, but hearing what you're doing with all those kids around your hometown with all those sports, it's an amazing thing. You've got a great family, man. Congratulations. Thanks for joining me, man. You too. I appreciate you having me. Looking look forward to listening to you guys every week on the TV. All right, man. Thanks. This has been another LaTarte on location with Elliot Sather. And as always, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.